Wednesday, June 6, 2018. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. June 6, as we all know, D-Day. Not only a big day in our military's history, but our nation's history. In World War II, Allied forces invaded northern France by means of beach landings in Normandy. Today, I hope to wander over to the World War II Memorial here in D.C. on the National Mall and observe an event that will be going on there to recognize D-Day. Follow us on Instagram at D-E-P-T Vet Affairs uh, for images and pictures from that event. I imagine there may be a similar event going on uh, near you. Maybe connect with your local VFW or Legion uh, and see if they have anything, if they're aware of anything going on in your area that you can also observe. This week's featured interview is with Army veteran Jason McCarthy and his wife, Emily McCarthy. Jason is the founder of GoRuck. GoRuck makes and sells rucksacks or ruck bags. I've, I'm not sure if I know the, the, pro- the proper uh, terminology there, but bags that are heavy-duty and capable of carrying weight uh, that could, as Jason would say, survive in New York City or survive uh, in Afghanistan. What's cool about GoRuck, though, are their GoRuck challenges, events that they put on nationwide from uh, easy to difficult to the 50-mile star course uh, that they just recently did in Washington, D.C., which is how uh, I got connected with them. Jason and Emily were nice enough to visit me at VA. We sat down and we talked about Go Ruck. We talked about their relationship uh, through his service while he was deployed and then her service while she was a foreign service officer. How Go Ruck came to be, the challenge that they were doing in DC, the 50 mile star course. I'll let him talk about that uh, and much, much more entrepreneurship, community, lots of great stuff. Enjoy. was a gunner's mate, Tonkin Golf. Logistics, Ramstein. Medic, Kandahar. As a veteran, it doesn't matter when or where you served. Infantry, Camp Pendleton. Or what you did. The VA has benefits that may be useful to you right now. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. All right, Jason McCarthy, Emily McCarthy, thank you both for, for, for joining me. Uh, by the time people hear this, um, the, the event that you're in town for will have occurred. They will have seen our blog recap on it uh, at blogs.va.gov. Um, Jason, I owe you a bit of an apology. Um, you and I recorded for this program about five months ago over the phone. Yeah. Ah, okay. yeah. And, Light bulb uh, now. And what's what's funny? What was great about it? Not great. What's um? What's the right word? Poetic, maybe. You. We had talked about Murphy's Law, and then we end the interview, and I go to check the audio, and there was nothing there. I don't know what happened with my software. It was it was Murphy's Law, right? Like something happened uh, in that. And what was crazy? It was the full thirty five minutes were there in the audio file. There just was no sound. And I was so befuddled and so embarrassed that I didn't. <laughs> I didn't you didn't even up. send me a note. I didn't even send you a note. And then, and then, lo and behold, uh, Scout Cons reaches out to me, and they're like, "Hey, um, 
Gilruck's going to be in town. Would you like an interview with Jason? And I'm like, yes. Awesome. <laughs> I can, uh, it's, it's a way for me to make up for, uh, for, <laughs> for Murphy and his silly law. Yep. Yeah. Got it. So, Jason, we're going to start uh, this interview where we start all interviews with our veterans, and that's the decision to join the United States military, since the one thing that we all have in common. Do you remember that decision for you? Yes, it was really clear for me. It started on 9-11, and I just was really mad about what happened that day. And because I didn't come from a military family, it was harder to figure out how I wanted to serve, but that was the goal. The goal was service. And so it took me a while to sort of <laughs> man up or whatever whatever it's supposed to be called and eventually walk to the recruiter and, and sign on the dotted line. Uh, what was your what was your occupation? What'd you do? Yeah, so I just graduated I just graduated from college in two thousand one, a couple months before, and I didn't really know what I was gonna do with my life, specifically anyway. So I just sort of bummed around and had a little job in marketing. And then I tried to be an analyst at a bank in Washington, D.C. for a little bit. And I realized there were certain things that I didn't want to do, especially not that those are bad professions. It's just right then and there, I'm a, I'm a 22-year-old guy and I felt I needed to fight for my country. Um, did you get that opportunity? I did get that opportunity. So I enlisted in 2003 and made it through the Special Forces Qualification course a little over two years later. And so that meant I was a Green Beret and got stationed out at Fort Carson, 10th Special Forces Group, the first and best Special Forces Group there right. is. I'm, sh- I'm there. sure that's not argue, <laughs> ar- argued by anybody else. The up first there. is a fact, <laughs> but it's just naturally the best as well. And, and so got to go to Iraq at sort of the height of the surge in 2007 and then did a little other work in West Africa and in, in based out of Stuttgart at the Commanders and Extremist Force. So this is something I haven't got a chance to really ask anybody in the like five years that I've uh, been podcasting. So you're the first to get to field this question. With you owe that- a case of beer. That's that's the rule. <laughs> you admit that something cool is your first and you got to, you know, you owe a case of beer. <laughs> uh, so I owe you a case of beer? Yeah, me or someone. Me, okay, yeah. very well. Um, only, if you, only if you nail this answer though. That, that sense of that sense of service, that, that need to serve and fight for your country that you had going into the military, now that you're on the other side of it, do you feel like you fulfilled that, that sense? Like, did you actually fulfill that original drive? I don't think that you can ever completely fulfill that original drive. So, I mean, I hope that more people hear the call to service and that they answer it, no matter what that call is. For me, it was join the military. That's just what I needed to do with my life. I think there's a lot of other people who should join other great organizations, the State Department, the Peace Corps. The, I mean, there, there's just a million different ways to serve something greater than yourself, to serve your country, to serve your community. And so when I got out, the hardest part was that I felt like I was quitting on, on the mission and on the guys, but it felt like there was a hole in my life because I didn't see this ability to tangibly serve something greater than myself. So. That's why we're still doing what we're doing the way that we're doing it, is to kind of try to give back more with, with what we have and what we've learned through our experiences. Yeah. Tell me about a, a close friend or a great leader that you had while you were in the military. You can choose either one, but tell me about that person. So every special forces team has a guy that's sort of a little bit of the, the heart and soul of the team. He, he's just sort of the pulse of the way it goes. And there's a guy named Josh on, on my first team. And he was the one that you needed to win his approval is basically what it boiled down to. And, you know, he had no patience for the, the, 
the cherries, the F and G's, the new guys, right? So you had to prove yourself. Your job was to show up and shut up, do as you're told because you haven't done anything. So realize you're showing up this, in your mind, this big, bad green beret, right? I've, I've done all of these awesome things to get to this really elite community, but then you're starting over again because everybody who's, who's there, they've actually been to war. They've come back. They've done real service for, for America. You've yeah. been through training. Congratulations is basically what they say. And so he was just one of those guys that he's the one that you want to go into the worst situations with. And to, to prove your worth to him, you had to, you had to work really hard and then you had to perform. And so there was just a, a, an expectation that he set by his own work ethic and his own performance that made me want to aspire to be, to be better. Yeah. Um, so you, you briefly touched on transition. Um, you, what, what prompted your transition? Like what, what, what prompted your, your separation from the military originally? Well, you're, you're looking at her, right? (laughs) (laughs) So ours was a complicated personal story. We, we knew each other growing up. We went to high school together. We never dated, went to separate colleges, never dated, sort of both ended up back home in Jacksonville, Florida you know, in 2003 or so. And it was just one of those things where, you know, you finally tell the girl that you've always loved, that you love her. Of course I do it right before I'm going off to basic training. <laughs> of course. Right, it's just, it's just messy. And so we, we got married not too, not too long thereafter. And we were married for five years. She joined the, the State Department, so she was in the Foreign Service. And I was in training and she was in training and then she was in Africa and I was in Iraq. I mean, it was just sort of a crazy thing where, you know, it's that sort of sat phone to sat phone marriage. And it was, it was crazy, right? Looking back on it, it's just insane to think that that was going to work. And, and so, you know, I just knew my contract was for five years and my goal was to, to serve honorably. What I did not expect was how hard it was going to feel to get out, even though I had every important reason in the world to get out. It was really, really hard to get out. So I got out so that we could be together in, in West Africa where she was stationed at the time. And, and, and so you got out and you went to West Africa to, to I did. There. So I got out of, I got out of the military. I, you know, they, they scraped my, the, the car ID off of my <laughs> Nissan Xterra, my green one. And I, I remember I had the back of it was full of all my stuff, which was not very much. I could still see out the back rear view mirror, right? And I drove through Kansas and I'm just crying like a baby on the way there. And it's just, it was, I was really surprised at how emotional of an experience that was to, to leave the service, even though I, I wanted to get out. And even though I had every intention of joining her in the foreign service or, or doing something else through one of the, the Washington type alphabet soup agencies, and, and yet it was still really hard. So moved to, to Abidjan for, didn't end up being very long. You know, when, when you try to skip to the end of something like a marriage, it, it doesn't really work. So right. that, that was sort of the, the crash and burn of our kind of epic narrative. And, you know, ended up catching a plane flight back to, back to the States, you know, three months later or something. And, and that was that for, for part one of our, <laughs> yeah. of our time together. We would later get back together years, years later. And we've got a bunch of kids running around at the house and, and life's really good. Sure. But it was really sort of raw and hard and difficult at that time. So Emily, when he, when he is about to go off the basic and, and confesses, confesses his love, did, 
Did you even buy it, or were you like, oh, I've I've heard of this stunt before? Oh, you you hit the nail on the head. I was so mad at him. <laughs> he waited so long to tell me, and I'm I'm a southern girl, so I was never gonna make the first move. But he he found out where I was substitute teaching, while I was waiting for the processing and the you know all the the hoops you have to go to to work for the government to come through. So he found out where I was substitute teaching and taped a. A legal pad, thick of you know notes to me, a letter to me on my my car, my Toyota Corolla, and basically said, "Hey, can you drop me off at the recruitment center at 5 a.m. the next day?" <laughs> Which I did on my way to cross country practice. Um, I was a coach for, so yes, I, I wasn't. I was thinking, okay, good for you. You're serving. Uh, I would like to do the same thing, but we're not going to obviously be able to do this together. Yeah, and. You know, so the, you joined the State Department. Uh, were you an FSO? Yes. Then? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, while you were doing your thing, and he's, you know, he's deployed doing his thing. I mean, t- tell us about maybe the most uh, the most vulnerable you felt in the relationship, or maybe the most pessimistic that you may have felt that, like, man, this this may not have been the right decision for either of us. Right. Well, you know, it's. It's hard to put it onto one point, but in the buildup to him deploying was terrible. So, you know, I was in training, sometimes alone and isolated from my family and friends, and he was as well. And there was just this dread hanging over our head. And then there's also this unspoken, you know, don't bother the person that's about to go off to war because with, with your your petty needs, yeah. because they need to be strong and. I thought I thought that was difficult, and I wasn't on a base with a community of other spouses to to reach out to, and and in retrospect, that that was probably not a great idea, but it was just the reality that we had. You know, it was like, well, I'm going to do my thing, you do your thing, we'll meet at the end, yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. I mean, this is this is when there weren't a lot of cameras on embedded in your computers, right. and it was like a big deal to have that extra appendage a- added onto it. So. Not like the olden days where it's all letters, but not too much better. But I do remember a time where we both had gotten in country. He was in Basra. I was in Abidjan. We're both new to our post. And I had friends on on my side of the house that knew where he was. And I'm getting reports from Jason that, oh, we're getting mortared every day. And this is what's going on. And he's talking to me like the peer that he always has respected me as. Yeah. But we had a new relationship where I was his wife. I was worried about him. I could not keep my head straight. I, I didn't have anyone to turn to in this new posting. So I reached out to my, my friends that were based in Iraq as well. And I believe one of our dear friends gave him a call on a secure line and said, do not talk to your wife about this. Tell her it's sunny and you're doing great. Right. So whereas I was you know, com- you know, consuming my own bit of information, through my job and keeping track of what was going on, I needed to hear something different coming out from where he was posted. It's for, you talk about like the video calls, like it's funny, I feel like we take that for granted so much now. Uh, I mean, I remember like trying, struggling to try to be on a Skype call, right? And like, it's, it's you know, buffering every two minutes, you know, <laughs> and you can't hear, really hear each other. You start doing that thing where like, by the time you hear what they say and respond, you don't realize that they're just now hearing what you just said. And so there's no real conversation going on. You're just sort of responding to what you hear. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. The technology was new, so it was 2007. It's, it still remains one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't want to spend the $2,000 each on laptops that had right. you know, the ability to do that kind of stuff. And some of the guys had it, and they, they sort of complained that, oh, it, it's not that great. The Internet's not that great. It cuts out. But from my vantage point now, I've kind of romanticized the idea of what you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, didn't. Yeah. And, you know, it would have been better to have something than nothing. So, you know, you can always get more money. It's not that it's not that important in the grand scheme of things. So right. it, it's for things like that that keep you in touch with your loved ones and stuff like that. So I, I wish I would have bought the the cell phone or the, the computers with the cameras or however it needed to get hooked up, but I just didn't. Yeah. Um, when I when I first got out of the, the Marine Corps, and, and it's I, this is a something I've realized in hindsight, um, I was tightly wound. How was dealing with a a spouse who was fresh out of the military who clearly was emotional about have, about separating from the military um how did you um how did you receive that i, I obviously didn't receive it very well <laughs> um we you know we were both had been in different places not really connecting for several years which takes its toll and i remember just kind of thinking you know my my career is going well and I'm gonna just focus on that. And he had made this big tr transition and it was not really happy being house husband, even though it was just for a little while. And, and that, you know, we were trying to say, okay, well, what can you do? Let's look at this, let's look at the situation, you know, we can figure this out. And that's, that's kind of where the Go Rock idea first came about. He made me a go, a go bag because, you know, Coups were happening all the time at Cote d'Ivoire. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, I had, I actually had friends that had been working in Iraq and Afghanistan saying, coming to Africa and going, whoa, this is freaky. Like, cause there's no rules. There's, there's no, there were no, you could freedom of movement, which I thought was awesome. But when you're used to that minimal security prison life where you go from point A to point yeah. B and back to your, your hooch, uh, you know, within a zone, um, it was it was a different ball game. So Jason made a go bag for me and and our our dog Java, if we needed to bug out. And I said to him when we were he was building this, I'm like, this is really cool. Like we should do this for more people. And more people actually asked him to do the same for him when when at the embassy. And I said, you know, this this you should do this go rock idea. And that's kind of where it first started. The go rock thing. The go rock thing. The go rock thing. <laughs> Um, so wait, so, so Jason, take us from that, take us from the people saying, Hey, this should be a thing to you going, Oh yeah, this, this maybe should be a thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't really have anything left in my life at that point. Right. I mean, I just gotten out of the military, so I got no job, no identity, no real purpose, no, no girl anymore. Right. You know, it's all sort of, you know, rip your heart out, stomp it around on, whatever sort of miserable concrete pavement there is out there and, and try to pick yourself up again. Yeah. So I'm just chuckling uh, <laughs> at the, the, the visual of the, of what you just described. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm also the kind of person who likes to do stuff. I just got to stay busy. I just got to have something. So go Ruck started out as a hobby. I mean, I don't know anything about at that point, manufacturing or gear design per se, or certainly not business or marketing or anything like that. But the idea for, for a bag, that would be able to thrive in New York City, where I where I was, in DC, where I was, as well as a war zone like Baghdad. So this sort of 
New York City Baghdad friendly rucksack was the guiding principle for what became GR1, which was our original and, and flagship piece of, of gear, our rucksack. And that took about two and a half years. So I was in business school at the time. I eventually went back and you know, used the post 9-11 GI Bill, which I really encourage all veterans to take advantage of. It just, it buys you not only an education, but it buys you some time. Yeah. And so that was really important to me. I make every opportunity I can to thank the American taxpayer for that because yeah. it's, a, it's a really great service that, that we as a nation have provided to our veterans. And, and so it took a long time to get to where GR1 was ready for sale. And then, you know, you make them in America and it's, you know, it's got a retail for $295. And right. people are like, wow, that's crazy. And then they, they answer you with silence and all that stuff, you know, which is, <laughs> which is death to business. So went back to my roots the same way as, as the Rock, which was sort of special forces friendly and came up with the Go Ruck Challenge. And that started in 2010 is a team building event based on special forces training led by a current or former special forces guy in that case it was me so it was just sort of i mean there was a lot of a lot of lows in that i was about to say there were a lot of highs there were a lot of lows and then there was the sort of slow and steady way to kind of pick yourself up again and and in that process you know there was there was the dog which you know in in our little we call it a little break now (laughs) In our little break, I got the dog, and and Java was just you know vital to my yeah. mental and physical health. So that was really important at that at that time in my life, and that coincided with the early earliest days of, of Go Rock. Dogs are so just so we were talking on the elevator of dogs are just so amazing. My my wife got her dog while we were dating, but she was living in Columbus. I was here, and the you know. Dogs are amazing in that once you're one of their people, you're one of their people. And it would, it could, we would go a full month, six weeks without seeing each other. But as soon as Driver, her dog, would see me, his little tail would start wagging and he'd be so excited. And it didn't matter what was going on in my life. All of a sudden, I was just feeling that much better, you know. And it's, um, I've, there's so many success stories of, of veterans and just people in general where like they're in a funk and they're just having and be and owning and taking care of a dog to somehow helps. A community of two is what it is. And so what you yeah. miss so much about service is that there's a community, there's a camaraderie. And, and so when you get out of the service, I've just heard it so many times and I lived through it. You lose your identity. You lose your kind of place in the world. You lose this higher calling, at least emotionally you, you do. You think that it's gone. And so what you got to do is get back to the things that made you happy about your service. And that doesn't mean that you got to wake up at three in the morning necessarily, but some discipline is great. But the, the other part of it is the camaraderie that a dog can provide, the community. And you start with a community of two and watch what happens. It'll grow. Yeah. That's what, that's what happened for me. It started with a community of two, yeah. you know, me and Java, because without him, I'm just sort of kind of lost to the world in some basement in, in the district and not doing very well. But there was Java. He said, hey, we need to go out. It's yeah. really basic, right? It doesn't have to be complicated. I need to go out. I need some exercise, right? I'll, I'll lick you here, you know, here, there, wherever, right? And it's, it's sort of, you know, you feel really good about that. And it's, hey, go, go play with the dog. The dog wants you to do that. It's really encouraging. And so that gets you back to sort of being active and social and stuff like that. And that was, that was a great part of my transition. How did you guys decide that he would take the dog? Oh, that's, that's a longer story, but (laughs) (laughs) 
So technically, Java was my dog, right. and I got to, be, to go to Africa to serve as like protection. Yeah. I had talked to a lot of other of my colleagues, and they said, "Listen." a young woman in Africa, you're gonna be on your own more than you think. The cavalry is not gonna be coming for you the way you may imagine. Bring a dog and it doesn't matter really, it doesn't have to be a guard dog per se, just a big dog and and that's a deterrent. And it's also gonna give you an extra layer of protection and not to mention the the ancillary benefits of, of the community that it brings you and, and taking care of something. So he was my dog. He was with in, me in Africa for three and a half years. And um, it was hard to let go of him. And I fought him a little bit on it for about six months there. It was the only source of contention. It was the only time I thought we might have to bring in lawyers on oh, this yeah. part. But I, 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 I looked him in the eye and I thought at some point, you know, I think you need him more than I do yeah. at this point. And it was hard. And I resented him a little bit for it initially. But yeah. in, in retrospect, I don't think we'd be together today if I hadn't have done that. Right. Um, let's, so let's talk about the, the culture that I feel like you've helped, maybe not create, but have definitely helped make popular um, around rucking. Um, I have a go ruck bag. Uh, what do I have? I have the Echo. Mm-hmm. Um, it has completely. Um, I mean, not to not to stroke your ego too much on on the wonderful product that you've made, but um, it has completely simplified the way that I look at fitness. Like, if I know I need to, like, I haven't gone out in a little while. I haven't had any cardio in a while. I don't have to worry about trying to go on a run. I don't have to worry about trying to do anything like any real. I can just throw my twenty pound, you know, uh, steel plate in my in my ruck and just run or and, and go walk right. And um, it's become a and it, it's a, it, what I love about it is you can build it into normal routine. Like if I need to go to the grocery store instead of driving there, I'll take the 25 minute walk there with my with my ruck on and now it became an exercise you know that wasn't you know the body's experiencing something but it's not really difficult i'm not at the end of it dreading hating if i go on run i finish i'm like i don't not want to do that again (laughs) like you know you start the run and it's cool for about six seconds and then wow that's that's impressive that it's cool for six seconds for you well i have a longer stride six (laughs) seconds is fewer steps for me right and about six seconds in i'm like why am i doing this and then like that's how it is until the final six seconds and then i'm there's that sense of like oh i feel good and i'm like I don't actually, I don't want to do that again. I definitely don't want to do it for longer <laughs> or for further distance. Uh, but what I like about rucking is I just choose a distance. I choose a thing to do and it just becomes a part of that routine. Yeah. So look, rucking is the foundation of special forces training. You know, you have your rucksack, it's typically 45 pounds dry, meaning water weight and any consumables don't count. And then you have, you know, Initially, it starts out with with land navigation, and then you get into sort of team tactics and all of that type of stuff. And sometimes the the rucks get heavier; they rarely get lighter. Uh, but you know that's the essence of where go ruck comes from is the special forces way of life, right? It's a small team environment. To, first, to be a great teammate, you've got to be a, a great individual. But before you can show up and provide real value to the to the other members of the team. There's a sense of personal accountability and responsibility that it takes to do that, and fitness is among them. So from my vantage point, the best athletes in the world, the most adaptable athletes in the world, especially to suboptimal conditions, exist in special forces. They're not professional athletes that are making a, a bunch of money for you know 
team sports that way. It's this is the ultimate team sport, you know, being on an, an army team or, you know, a Navy team or a, a military service team. And, and so what GORUCK has done is figure out a way to take the best parts of, of the special forces way of life and not, not water it down too much, communicate it in a way that, that is more accessible. So it's elite without being elitist because we're just not, yeah. that's a, a huge turnoff. You know, the, the people who sort of hide behind certain things or, you know, it's just too much bravado. We just want, we want people, more people in America veterans and non-veterans to, to, to do more things as part of a community. And part of that is we need to get back to moving more together, not sort of just living online and social media and stuff like that, but actually doing things in the real world that, that we enjoy. And so rucking is a way to do that. And a lot of, of veterans out there will say, well, rucking sucks, right? Well, kind of everything can suck in the military except the camaraderie, yeah. right? I mean, you want to go jump out of airplanes? Great. That's fun, except in the military. You want to go scuba dive? Fantastic. <laughs> go ask anyone that's been to dive school down in Key West how much they like doing scuba diving right. in the military, right? I mean, so the point is, is if you do 100 pounds and there's not anybody that's been in the army that hasn't rucked 100 pounds, ask them, they'll tell you, right? Ask me, right. I'll tell you. And so what we're saying, though, is, is just like with everything, special forces is at the tip of the spear. There's a lot of lessons that you can learn from these, these avatars of human performance that will apply to all of us in our daily lives. So not 100 pounds, not 60 pounds. Start with 20 pounds. Go to the grocery store, just like, like you're doing. There's, there's a way to optimize the time that we have in our lives, mm -hmm. right? Because if everything just becomes so choppy and you know, you're just trying to, to, to get to the next thing, I mean... Take the long way sometimes with 20 pounds on your back. You can get all of that fitness in that is just beneficial. And you can hide the miles at the same time, right? It's not, hey, I've got to get in my Uber to go to the gym to stare at a TV with my headphones on while I hate my life on a treadmill to, you know, then, I, you know, you know that process. It's yeah. not as fun. Call a buddy up. Say, hey, I'm going to take the long way to the to the bar, to the, to the grocery store, to the whatever, depending uh, upon what time of day it is or what time of year, want to come with me. It's a really good way to have a, a little community of two again. Yeah. I, uh, when I lived in, when I lived in Sacramento, um, you know, Northern California can have some beautiful weather right in, in the spring and fall. And, and I would go to a gym and it would just amaze me how like I see people like park their car and I would like fall and they would go to a treadmill to just like walk or do like a slow jog and I'm like it's 68 degrees outside right now it is beautiful like I get maybe this is your motivator maybe you're more motivated to like lock yourself in this building and and People work have out been but shamed into fitness in this kind of, of way and I think it's completely unnecessary I think in fact it's counterproductive it's sort of where, you know, it starts with, hey, here's the magazine cover. Here's how you're supposed to look. Then there's, hey, look at everyone's Facebook feeds. Here's how you're supposed to live. And part of that is you got to be fitter and you got to do all those things. Well, that's true. But, you know, the, the gym membership that you start on January 1st and you don't go to or you resent going or the things that we resent in life, 
we don't we end up not following through on those. It's it's the things that we do that are a part of something bigger than ourselves. It's the things that we can do a little bit more easily or we can build into other things that we're doing so we can multitask a little bit. Those are the things that are sustainable. And over the course of a lifetime, if you're if your patterns of life are, hey, I'm gonna take the stairs, hey, I'm gonna ruck to the grocery store, it's 20 minutes. I mean, comfort is the enemy, right? Yeah. I mean it, it's kind of a boring way to just always take an Uber everywhere and just do as little as possible as if that's the goal. I mean, the basics of, of military service are there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of things that suck. There's a lot of camaraderie that comes of that. And there's a lot of accomplishment that comes of that. And so that's the special forces way of life that we believe in and that we say, hey, I mean, I'm not in special forces anymore, by the way. You know, and so GORUCK has served for me as this bridge between the military and the civilian worlds. And we're saying, hey, join us. This is a great place to be. And we don't care if you're young, old, black, white, male, female, gay, straight, whatever, military, civilian, just join us. This is a great way of life. What I, what I really like about um, activities like rucking and especially with the events is there's so much accountability in investing in something that you do right like if you pay to do something you are more likely to want to do it which is one of the reasons why um people that throw on great events that are free are always so disappointed and confused as to why more people didn't like show up that signed up well there was nothing at stake like there was no sunk cost bias right and with with the event, you, you pay a little bit to join the event. You have the accountability of other people that are going to be with you, right? So once you show up, now you can't, like, quit, right? Like, there's people there that are about to go with or without you, and you don't want to be the person that decides. Because how many times have we, like, decided, I'm going to go for a run in the morning. You lace up, you look outside, and you're like... <laughs> There's other things I could do as well. Yeah, like roll over, like roll over back in bed. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Americans love goals too. Yeah. We love to work. We love to push ourselves. We love goals. Even when we forget that at five in the morning when we roll back over, that's just our way of being. We want to just push ourselves just a little bit more. And so events are great ways to sort of anchor a goal out there. And in theory, it should help you train more because you say, hey, I know this is coming up. I need to do something. And anything more than nothing is better. Yeah. I, I like that you feed into the achievement era we're in as well with like the, the special patches that people may get when they finish an event. To yeah, you like know, that. I didn't know any different, right? I mean, the, the special forces way is when you graduate the, the yeah. special forces qualification course, you get the special forces tab. It's a patch that you put on your, your uniform. And so it just made perfect sense to me that if you finish a GORUCK challenge or a GORUCK event that you would get a patch. I just didn't know any other way. Yeah. Uh, Brian, who is, who is in the room but off mic, uh, you can tell Fred Wellman this. The only patch that I have that I've put on my on my rucksack is a, is a scout comms patch that I got <laughs> at the last uh, last event that I was at. Um, Emily, from your perspective and seeing all of this grow, seeing the community come together, uh, the things we've touched on, what what has surprised you in the success of this, or or maybe just the impact you've seen it had on an individual? Yes. Um, well, what surprised me initially was you know when Jason was planning for the first events, he came to me and said, uh, what do you think about this route? You know, what, just- We were separated. We were separated at the time, at the time the but we, we, were, <laughs> we were still, we're always been friends. Yeah. So he asked me and I said, oh my gosh, you're gonna need a permit. You're gonna need to do all these things. 
And he said, ah, whatever, I'm not dealing with that. And what surprised me initially then was that he was right. It, the, the challenge by nature is constantly moving. So, and the, you know, it never met that threshold of, the, of time and amount of people in a, in a static space. So he did not need all those things up front, which, you know, you think about small business starting up, they sometimes get it backwards. They think, oh, I've got to invest in all this up front, the marketing, the, the permitting, it's got to be by the book because that makes people feel like it's, it's right, it's gonna work. I've done, I've checked all the boxes, but there's something to be said for that rogue entrepreneurial spirit of like, I'm, you know, we're gonna do it my way, <laughs> like, or I'm just gonna try it, because I don't have the money to do that, I don't have the time to spend on that, I'm gonna focus on doing an awesome event, something that I would like. So it, it was really cool to see that catch on and people actually signing up you know, to do these, you know, events. And I did the third one ever up in New York, froze in the Hudson River. Um, so cool your ex-wife wants to do it with you. <laughs> right. We sort of toyed around with that so, tagline there for a second. Oh, yes. Well, we, yeah. But, um, my, my thing at the end of it was I told him that it wasn't really hard just to make him mad. But... <laughs> But what's no really people sign up for it. It's so easy. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, I've done lots of events and I've met lots of great people and uh, over the years, and it's really just been an amazing ride to see, you know, veterans leading our events and connecting with people and feeling that purpose and the gaps in their lives and 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 people coming up and telling me that you know rucking has has changed their lives. It's, it's, they've lost a lot of weight. They, they, were, they were thinking of suicidal thoughts and it brought yeah. them into a community. And you know, we partner with lots of other nonprofit organizations um, and that help veterans. And that's just been eye-opening to see um, that, you know, what, what I look at Jason sometimes and say, you know, I know you wanted to continue serving your, your country in one way, shape or form, but this is, this is a way of service. And, and ultimately, you know, that's that's our aim is to make rucking bring rucking to people to make their lives better yeah um you're in town today for a uh the 50 miler right presidential special forces rucking challenge is that what it's officially called 50 miler yeah well it's the go ruck star course 50 miler okay yeah now um provide a little bit of the history on on so in 1908 teddy roosevelt issued an executive order to members of the military he said do 50 miles in under 20 hours right He, he saw there was a declining kind of i mean teddy roosevelt the rough rider right you always kind of see a declining physical aptitude or whatever, but he, he just wanted to challenge people in, in his military to, to be more fig, physically vigorous. And JFK picked this up in his administration as well, again, as a, as a way to combat what he saw as a, a growing softness uh, in, in America, and or too much softness, not sort of condemning everyone, but too much. And and so at that time, it became a fitness craze with, with JFK's, you know, with JFK's promotion of it. A lot of people started doing it to see if they could do it. And, you know, things come in waves. They come in cycles. And, I mean, those are two great presidents in my estimation. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt is the rough rider, right? JFK is the one who, who first authorized the wear of the Green Beret, right? He is beloved within the Special Forces community. And, and so... 
it's, it's important to look backward and honor your roots and your heritage and stuff. So we looked back to, to that, those great challenges and said, hey, we can do this and add a special forces element to it. And the special forces element is it's, it's a team of two to five. So that's within the, the 50 miler. And there's not really police officers and traffic cones in, in, in this. There's not a fixed route, right? right? So that's what makes this different. And that's how it's a star course. So the star course is the culminating exercise in special forces uh, assessment and selection, which is phase one of the qualification course and dubbed selection, right? And so they give you your waypoints and you have to go to your waypoints in under a certain amount of time. So that's what we're doing in, in Washington, D.C., the capital of freedom later tonight. It starts at 9 p.m. Yeah. And the teams out there, there's about 700 people signed up. It's nuts. And, and they all have 20 700 hours. 700 people. Yeah. That's incredible. Look, people say America's getting so soft. We say they're not looking in the right places. Right. I agree. This is awesome. You know, it's always easy to to predict decline and, and to sort of say, oh, things aren't what they used to be. I mean, they said that about my generation, too, before 9-11, you know, and then there was a lot of us. And, and even those even those folks who stayed home that did something within our community, the guys that went and served, it's pretty obvious, right? I mean, we put our lives on the line and, and did what we needed to do. And and it was, I mean, we were willing to do anything for, for America, you know, within within the confines of our moral compasses. And, and you know, there's a lot of people answering that call. And so we see that, you know, special forces remains the tip of the spear of kind of the military and society as a whole. And so we see a lot of that within America by people who didn't serve in that capacity. And one of the reasons why this has worked is because without 9-11, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have joined the military. So it's very easy for me to relate to someone out there who just, the timing wasn't right. Or, you know, all of a sudden you have a family and you're, you're young and it's it just, it's it, it just, there's lots of reasons why things don't happen. There's lots of different ways to serve though. And there's also lots of different ways to push yourself and do hard, tough things with people who also want to do that. Yeah. I, um, I, I have seen the, the list of waypoints and, uh, I have to applaud the, the, the selection that they are really good. A lot, a lot of them are places that I would tell people to go. Right, if they if they visited Washington D.C., uh, I would I would tell them to go check out these places. It's so, a guided tour of the city yeah, as well. That's what I was going to say. Not, not only is this a great fitness event, but uh, it's a great way to see like the bulk of what you know, other than like museums and stuff. Like it's, it's a great way to like see landmarks. Uh, I like that the Exorcist steps are on that list too. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. When people are walking walking around, um, by the way, 9 p.m. Uh, what is that? That goes to what? Um, five, five, 5 PM. PM tomorrow. And the, the finish point is balance gym yeah. at, at Thomas circle. They've been long standing friends of ours. It's just a great place. Devin Mayer runs a great, great spot there. There, we do really well places that have communities and that's a great spot. So we're going to finish there and then we've got, you know, photo finishes and pizza and beer and all yeah. that sort of Where does it stuff. start? It starts in Georgetown? It does, down by the waterfront. Okay. So you can stand in water, right, at the start line, <laughs> just so that you know what you've gotten yourself into. Right. Well, <laughs> the people are going to stand in water and then walk around with water pouring on them because uh, it... Once you're wet, it doesn't matter. It's so true. I was... So my, my wife and I just finished doing the 40 miles of Appalachian Trail that are in the state of Maryland, and... It started downpouring on us literally 90 seconds into the hike. We got dropped off. We put like we 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 uh, weatherproofed all of our stuff, rain jackets. Hit the trail. 90 seconds later, sky, thunder rolls. Sky opens up, and like 
it's so funny when you when you aren't wet, you think of ways to not get wet, and then once you're wet, you're like, screw it, I don't care, and you just you deal with being wet. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, you can live your life sort of trying to tiptoe around every puddle. Yeah. But if it's raining, that's just a terrible way to live your life. You know, just yeah. embrace the fact that it's raining. And if it rains, you're wet. That was my drill sergeant in his infinite wisdom. That was his quote. If it rains, you're wet. So when I first saw this, uh, this, this challenge, uh, the, the, the 20, the 50 miles in 20 hours, like I, I was like, oh, that'd be cool. I should do that sometime. And so Man. I hate the word should, right? Yeah. The word should is the enemy. Right. But I, I'm going to do this. Right. This is when this is going to happen. Should, I just got to find some crazy friends. By should, I mean like I haven't put it on my calendar yet, right? Like that's that, that's how should works in my life is is it still isn't on my calendar, right? Because I know once it's on the calendar, I'll protect it, right? Like that's how time works. Once we have like scheduled something, we protect that time. And I was like, oh, I could do it. I started looking at like, I was like, maybe I could just like w- walk 50 miles to somewhere, man, 50 miles is a lot further than I thought it was. I was like, that's like the Baltimore. That's like, that's like from where I live in Alexandria and getting, and just strolling into like prop in Baltimore proper. That's a long ways away. How well, are, do it with some friends. You'll have a good time. Yeah. How are people keeping track of their, of their, of their mileage? Are they using I'll let their M phones? Take this one. Or? She sort of developed this sort of mechanism. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's done by by checking off the waypoints on um, using Instagram. So we have a remote score. She's based out of Toronto, <laughs> and um, she, the teams get take a picture, a team selfie at the waypoints. But it's designed that you're you're going to walk at least <laughs> fifty miles to hit all these waypoints. Now, you if you don't go the most direct route, you could walk a little bit more. But it would be almost impossible to to not hit. 50 miles. I see. So, so there's, uh, it would be difficult or it'd be surprising if someone could hit all 20 waypoints in a way that didn't also cover 50 miles. It's of, not possible. It's not possible. Right. No. Okay. Yeah. No. no 17. I'm, I might points. show up tonight. It's not possible. So you're definitely in <laughs> Is it too late to register? In. No. And no. you get this sort of. Never the, too the, late. You get this photo archive of all the places that you went to. Yeah. I mean, and there's, it's all the big spots, right? I mean, there's no big secrets here. I mean, we haven't given people the, the, the route or the waypoints yet, but it's, it's all the big one. I mean, the national mall has got a lot of really cool stuff, Yeah. you know? So, so why, why an overnight? Well, one of the reasons is it's, it's a greater challenge. The other reason is, is that it's, it's a little safer, Okay. right? So especially if you start doing this in warmer months, depending upon what it is, I mean, overnight stuff is just safer on, yeah. on humans. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit, just a little bit on the entrepreneurial side of, of this, but, uh, before we wrap up, um, you mentioned, you know, made in America meant a higher ticket price and that was difficult to sell to, uh, to a a new, um, a a new consuming audience. How did you get past that? How did you convince, um, how do you think, how do you think you got past that? So first off, founded by a special forces guy made in China, just never had a really nice <laughs> ring to me, you know. And, and you know, I also just, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be a part of something that my grandfathers would be proud of, yeah. right? And so they were they they were super old school, and made in America mattered to them. You know, my one of my grandfathers, he refused to buy anything but American made automobiles. You know, just that kind of that kind of culture is is what I was around as a as a kid. So, you know, the other part of that is that made in America has to mean higher quality. If it's not higher quality, 
Ben, what are we doing? Why do we bother making it here? Yeah, why do, why yeah. do that? We're not doing anyone a service if we're making lower quality things in America. So it has to mean that as well. And ultimately what happened is, is the GORUCK challenge happened. And we started building teams and the, the gear and the rucksacks were, were at least in the, they were being worn, right? The participants were all wearing them during those events. So GORUCK became synonymous with this great experience where you also have a rucksack. So the rucksack became the experience. It became this, this in, for a lot of people, a transformational experience, which for me as a cadre, as the guy kind of leading the event, it was also transformational because there was this idea of giving back what I'd learned in, in war and giving it back to Americans here in the home front to, to, to build better Americans, we say. And, and so, you know, that's what happened, though. The word GORUCK started to mean something than just a thing. Yeah. What, when, you, when you started getting into this and started actually started dealing with the business side of things, what was a, what was a challenge that maybe you weren't expecting or something that was a little more difficult than you thought it might be? You know, it was all a challenge, right? I mean, I, I just didn't have any background in this. So, so how did you navigate that? How did you, how, what was your troubleshooting process like? So I, I found, you know, my, my stepdad was really instrumental. He was just a, a good sounding board and someone that I could talk to that kind of had my, he was loyal to me first. And, and he ended up supporting GORUCK in the very early days. He's the only other, only other investor in GORUCK besides me. And, uh, so he, you know, when I needed a little bit of money to build up the, the inventory, he, he wrote me a check. He said later, he goes, I thought I was going to lose all my money, but I wanted to do it to support my son, right? Yeah. And there was just a lot of, I mean, made so many mistakes, but just kept adapting to what I, I just held as the, a better way to do business, which wasn't in any business textbook. It was sort of, I felt accountable to the special forces guys, to the special forces way of life, to giving back, to doing something that matters. Because for me, it was really simple. If, if this is just peddling things or trying to, to create a more efficient whatever, I was gonna go back and join the government. That was gonna be simple because I had a, a need to give back what, what I'd learned. So there was this Northern star that was out there that kept drawing me towards it. And just staying true to that is how I navigated around the business stuff. I mean, you know, yes, there's balance sheets and all of that type stuff, and you have to have cash to keep the lights on. So I had to learn the hard way a couple of times that that stuff actually does really matter. You can't yeah. just be a, a hopeless romantic and, and get everything that you need out of, out of business. But it was, it was really just keeping my eye on that northern star. I mean, I could sit around and talk to you guys for, for another hour about uh, all this stuff, both the business side and the culture and, um, and the veteran space in general and all that sort of stuff. But um, I'll, be, uh, I'll be mindful of, of, your, of your time here. Um, last couple of questions we always wrap up with. The first, um, Jason, what, tell, me about a, um, tell me about a skill set or an experience that you had in the military that you think is directly contributing to your success today. So the idea of building teams, leading people and building teams through by doing things together. I mean, that's the foundation of, of how special forces operate. So on the fitness level, we talked about rucking is the foundation of special forces training. People think too often that special forces is about running around and shooting through your legs and, you know, shooting on the move and all that stuff. And, you know, that's great and all, but there's, there's a, 
the classic special forces mission is is that you link up with a partner force in a foreign country and you work by with and through that partner force. So you work with them to achieve your desired outcome, your your mission objective. So the best example is is post 9-11 Afghanistan when you had a very few number of special forces teams who were there that linked up with the Northern Alliance and then and then worked by, with, and through the Northern Alliance to defeat the Taliban with the help of the United States Air Force. God bless us for, for the eyes in the sky. But it's not just doing all these unilateral operations, right? Sort of one raid to rule them all. There, there's, a, there's a hydra snake of bad guys out there. You just cannot you can't kill your way to victory. You have to work with, with local forces. And so that's the, that's the business model, how GORUCK has been built. There's a real empowerment model to people showing up and, and doing our events. And we teach them what it means to push themselves through adversity. In that process, we also teach them what it feels to be like as, as part of a really functioning team. And they take that back to their daily lives and they're empowered to do that in their communities. And you know, in that process, they they credit or thank or were inspired by or at least experienced go rock as part of that process and that's the humbling part is that people give us their time yeah. they give us their their willingness and their trust to come be a part of of this movement time is the most valuable resource in life um and in um you know like i said the idea that someone's willing to spend that time on something you've created i think is actually it's it's quite flattering yeah, it feels kind of weird to say that, you know, because it's, I, I feel like I was in the middle or at the tail end, right? I mean, I, I learned so much throughout my time in the military. I mean, I owe, those are the guys that taught me that sure. I, I was just sort of continuing that legacy in, in a different way. So we talked about Josh a little bit earlier, you know, I was continuing that legacy and, and Josh had someone that came before him and there's always, yeah. that's how the community works. And so for me, this is just an extension of that community and, and that's, those are the guys that I owe. So it is very humbling that people want to do that in a, in a different environment here in America, and it's open to all. That's the that's the part that we're really proud of. Uh, Emily, um, a similar question. T- tell me, um, what was something you saw in Jason uh, early on in your in your relationship that you see shining through now uh, that um, as Go Ruck continues to grow? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I love this kind of question. Oh man, um, <laughs> gosh. Well, I mean, he has a—he's relentlessly stubborn in, <laughs> in the best way possible. So, yeah. you know, when the designers, you know, sent back the first, you know, prototypes of GR1, he—he he just everything was wrong. Had to go this way. And when people told him, like, yo, this is the way it's done. You have to do it this way. He, like I said before, he—he he rejected that if it wasn't in line with you know, the special forces way of life or what he set out to the, you know, the level of perfection that he was set, setting out to do. So it takes someone really stubborn when you're hit time and time again and told you can't do it this way, this doesn't make sense, to hang on to that and make it work, you know, some way or the other. So I see that. I saw that now. I mean, I saw. I see that now. I saw that early on, and and that's really what guides Goruck to this day. I mean, when when Jason is you know leading Goruck, he he really is that same person. He he's stubbornly, um, you know, focused on the truth and and the service element of this. And you know, it's not like gonna. It's not gonna be. He's not going to sacrifice the gift. I mean, the fact that people have invested a lot of time 
yeah. and go rock. I mean, our events, some of them last, you know, multiple days uh, if you want. Um, but people, you know, it, it is it is a valuable commodity that they're giving and he doesn't want to waste that. Yeah. Jason, tell me about a, a veteran, veteran group or veteran organization that you're familiar with other than GORUCK uh, that, uh, that has you excited about what they're doing right now. So I'm actually on my small team is the executive director for Team Red, White, and Blue. Blaine Smith. Uh, or no. no. J.J. Pinter. J.J. Pinter. Who took That's over right. recently. That's right. Blaine Smith's actually also on my team. Today. Right. That's, yeah. That, yeah. Um, so we're doing it together. So we've had a longstanding relationship with Team Red, White, and Blue that Emily was instrumental in, in forming early in... in was that three or four years ago? And, and so, look, they're about veteran empowerment as well, right? I mean, th- there's a lot of stigmas that we have to get, get over, right, within the veteran community. And one of them is that people, that, that veterans are sort of broken and have PTSD and we're not hireable and all of those kinds of things, right? And so what we need to do is create sort of a change in that conversation. And to do that, you've got to have veterans out there doing really great things. And to do that, you've got to empower them to be part of a, a community that's bigger than themselves. And the, the easiest way, the most tangible way to do that is through being physically and socially active together. And so that's what they're about. They're about enriching veterans' lives and making them you know, physically and socially active. So instead of linking up to just, you know, go to the bar or not link up at all, they say, hey, get together, go for a ruck, go for a run, go do yoga together, go mountain bike together. And they have these, these communities all over the country that are empowered to do that stuff together. And so we see a lot of community building that happens that way. They're a, they're a great organization. We're happy to partner with them. Awesome. Emily, do you, do you have an answer to that question? Uh, maybe it's, um, uh, another organization that, um, that has you excited about what they're doing right now? Yes. Um, you know, you mentioned dogs. Like yeah. we, we also partner with Pets for Patriots, um, okay. an organization that connects dogs with veterans. And it's a two-way street. You know, these are dogs that need homes and, and veterans that need, need a reason to get out of bed sometimes. So we do like a virtual rock where you can get out with your, with your best friend and, and take them on some of those miles. And a lot of my friends that wouldn't want to do maybe endurance, like the very physical endurance events, they, they have dogs and they're like, you know, this, this fundraiser or, you know, this has got me putting weight in my back and uh, my backpack and taking my dog and my dog's so happy for it. And I've gotten some benefit out of it too. And I feel great because I'm giving back to this, this organization, Pets for Patriots. Wonderful. And another reason why we love Pets for Patriots is, you know, you hear a lot about service dogs, right? And, and veterans need service dogs. Well, Java was not a service dog officially, right? He wasn't trained as a service dog. He was a, a friend. He was a companion, right? And so Pets for Patriots, there's a way reduced cost because they don't pair service dogs. They pair dogs in kill shelters that would will make good companions for veterans. So you've reduced the financial burden significantly, which means that when you donate money or when we raise money and we write them a check, it, it's going to impact a lot of lives. And so, you know, they say they're saving two lives, right? There's, there's the dog that's in the kill shelter and then there's the, the veteran. And whether it's saving a life or enriching a life through, through having a friend, a pet, it's, it's a win either way. Yeah. Emily and Jason, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for giving me an hour of your time to, to talk about, uh, about your service, about uh, your experience with the transition, how it impacted your marriage, and then go ruck in the, in the rucking community. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you.
VA's round-the-clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call 877-424-3838. If the star course seems interesting to you, go to goruck.com, go to their events page. You'll find the star course 50 miler there. Um, and you'll see a list of cities that they're hoping to do this year in 2018. Uh, just a quick gl- glance at it. I see Chicago, Seattle, Denver, Philly, Dallas, New York. Uh, I might try to make my way up to the Philly ones. Let me see if I can check that one out. Um, but a big thanks to Jason and Emily for, for dropping by uh, and sharing parts of their personal life as well as the, uh, the journey they've been on with, with Go Ruck. Since Jason brought up the 50-mile challenge sort of stemming from an executive order that Teddy Roosevelt gave his military, and with today being the anniversary of D-Day, I'm going to use those two things to theme today's or this week's Medal of Honor citation reading. The citation reading is for Theodore Roosevelt Jr., eldest son of Teddy Roosevelt, He was in the Army, Brigadier General, with the 4th Infantry Division, World War II. Year of Honor is 1944. Citation reads, For gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty on 6 June 1944 in France. After two verbal requests to accompany the leading assault elements in the Normandy invasion had been denied, Brigadier General Roosevelt's written request for his mission was approved and he landed with the first wave of forces assaulting the enemy-held beaches. He repeatedly led groups from the beach over the seawell and established them inland. His valor, courage, and presence in the very front of the attack and his complete unconcern at being under heavy fire inspired the troops to heights of enthusiasm and self-sacrifice. Although the enemy had the beach under constant direct fire, Brigadier General Roosevelt moved from one locality to another, rallying men around him, directed and personally led them against the enemy. Under his seasoned, precise, calm, and unfaltering leadership, assault troops reduced beach strongpoints and rapidly moved inland with minimum casualties. He thus contributed substantially to the successful establishment of the beachhead in France. We honor his service. That wraps up episode 107. Big thanks again to Jason and Emily for joining me. We'll be back next week with more from Born the Battle. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DEPTVetAffairs for more stories from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.